This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. you are good and full of love and grace, but we know that today is not a holiday for everyone, but a painful reminder of the dark memories and losses that have been experienced, that there are servicemen and women and families who are remembering the loss of sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and friends. And it's hard to celebrate when it is a time of grieving. The men and women who died are not just heroes, but a reflection of you, Jesus. They gave their lives so that we could enjoy liberties and freedoms that we often take for granted. We know that things are not as they should be, and things are not as they will be. But we thank you for what we get to have as a nation because of the sacrifices of many people. We also pray for those in this room who have served and who have put their life on the line. I'm asking, Lord, that you would let them see and experience your presence. That they would not carry the weight of of purchasing our freedom as a country when it is only you that can truly give us freedom. Would you heal their memories and let them see only that you can bring true and better freedom? Let them know and experience what freedom really is and would you give them rest? They've seen things and experienced things. They've seen the brokenness and ugliness of life and battle and God, I'm asking that you would heal every part of their heart and mind and soul as they gaze into the the work of the cross. Help us, God. And let our hope as a nation be in the day when You will return. And when You return, there will be no more war and no more death and no more pain. And let All of us in this room long for the day that you will bring true freedom and true peace. So on this Memorial Day, not only do we remember those who have given us a type or a shadow of freedoms, but we remember the true and better freedom that we can only find in you, Jesus. And so as we remember and pray for our country, our soldiers, those who have lost their lives, our hearts begin to ache for you to come and make all things right. So we say at the end of this prayer, come, 
Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Make all things new. Make all things new. In Jesus' name. And the church said, It's hard to move on from moments like that, but I, I do want us to take a moment and, uh, and get our Bibles prepared. We're going to be in Mark today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got some uh, ushers walking around with them in your hand. If you don't have a Bible or uh, you didn't bring yours today, could you flag one of these guys down? I think it's guys. Okay, yeah. I, I always say guys, and sometimes there's ladies, so uh, today it's guys. Uh, but make sure you flag one of them down. If you didn't bring yours today, please leave that here. If you, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. And what we're going to ask you to do now is stand as we read God's Word together. And the reason why we stand is because we are honoring God's Word. We're separating this time in our hearts and minds as, a, uh, as different, as distinguished. And we want to say this is His Word. So let's keep our minds on that. We want to we love the Bible here at this church. We love the Bible. We believe it is the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? And so we want to honor it and respect it. And when Jesus had crossed again to the boat the other side, a great crowd gathered about Him, and He was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood and for twelve years. And when he had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse, and she had heard the reports of Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touched even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out for him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing around you and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what, she had, what had happened to her, came to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, uh, from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. While the trub- why trouble the teacher, the da- your daughter is dead any further. But overhearing what what said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to him, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But they put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, 
Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We've been studying the book of Mark for some time now, and this is a... uh, an amazing book, and we've really enjoyed learning from it. And God's been speaking to us. And in this book, it was given to the church in the under great persecution. Now, I don't know if you uh, if you uh, listened to last week's sermon by uh, by West, but I think we need to give him a hand. He killed that last week. Uh, I learned a lot, and I've been trying to uh, quote him as much as possible so that it, the, the more you quote somebody, it becomes your own, and then you can say, I always say this. Um, and so he killed it last week. He talked about all of these incredible things, but he talked about a little bit of the history of when it, it came. And, and what we need to learn about this is that when this book came into uh, came to the church, it was under great persecution, and that persecution was under the hand of a heavy uh, empire, a kingdom or a king that was persecuting the church. And, and, and what we have to see is that when the kingdom of God comes on the scene, when the king comes in, and Mark is this great announcement that Jesus is king and his kingdom has come, when that comes, it confronts the kingdoms of this world. And it confronts it in very uh, real ways. And what we see is that the kingdom of God is opposite of the kingdoms of this world. But that the kingdom of God is this place where there is no evil and no sickness. It's this, it is the kingdom of God that there is great power and that there is great authority. And there's healing that takes place. And that even when the kingdoms of this world, what they really seek after is approval and popularity. What you see in Jesus is that he doesn't just seek approval and popularity. Matter of fact, when his fame continues to grow, he often does opposite of what the crowds want or desire. And he goes and he seeks to do these amazing things that blow our mind. What we learned last week as Wes was talking is that you saw this demoniac who was filled with legions of demons and what the world or what the kingdoms of the world try to do is tame these people by putting chains on them just to keep them restrained. You see, the kingdoms of this world can only offer restraint. They can only offer restraint. They cannot completely deliver and heal. And we try to put restraints on people because we know we don't have the power to change the very heart of people. What we try to do is just try to clean people up and keep them restrained. But what happened when they tried to put these chains on, they could, he could just bust through them. No matter how hard the chains, he would break them. And no matter what chains we try to put ourselves on, it's amazing how our evil can just bust through those chains. It can never change the heart. We can put chains on ourselves and try to restrict ourselves, but we can never change the heart. But what Jesus can do is completely deliver and heal and change the heart. And this is the first time. You remember when demons would say, you're the son of God, and he'd say, don't tell anybody. 
And when, when they, the others would come and get healed, he'd say, don't tell anybody. But last week was the first time Jesus in Mark, in this account, says to this man who's just delivered, go tell everybody. This man was so changed that here's a man who's put on the outcast, put in chains, one that nobody wanted to be around and was scared of, and now he's sent out by Jesus, changed, delivered, sent out by Jesus to herald the goodness of the kingdom of God. But what the kingdom does do, even in those accounts, is show us how weak and how fragile and how broken our kingdoms are in this world. Every time Jesus, the king, comes in, the true king, and shows us what his kingdom is like, it confronts our kingdoms. It confronts our idols. How many of you have ever experienced that? You meet with Jesus, and all of a sudden you start seeing how really your kingdom is not sufficient. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> and if you don't experience that, you might be making up a Jesus that just is not really the Jesus of the Bible. You might just be making up one you like to serve, but when Jesus really comes in and reveals himself and his kingdom, it confronts the kingdoms of this world. And this passage, this story that we just read, is another one of those showing us what Jesus' kingdom is like. And the first thing we see is that King Jesus is a king of sympathy. King Jesus is a king of sympathy. And you're going, well, how could that confront the kingdoms of this world? I like to hear that he's a king of sympathy. Well, the interesting thing is, in this time, and I will say in our time, and I'll try to make a case for that, the gods that we create, or the kings that we idolize, are represented by how mighty they are in battle. They delight in bloodshed. They're strong and they are a man's patron, if you will. They're a warrior's friend. So the kingdoms that we create and the kings that rise into power are strong and mighty and we put them in the place because of that and they delight in bloodshed and they rescue and they deliver. But the king that we see in these passages, the king that we worship, this king Jesus, is always set before us as gentle and easy to call on. The healer of the brokenhearted. He's a refuge for the weak and the helpless. He's a comforter for the distressed. He's a sick person's friend. This king is different than all other kings of this time and of our time. And let me try to explain this to you because I don't think it's just trapped in this time. I think we, even in, in, in our type of Christianity, create for ourselves the type of king that we want to worship. And isn't it interesting that what we really want from Jesus is for him to be strong and powerful and revengeful and to take care of our enemies. We like using things like, Jesus is our superhero. And this picture that we paint is, is very interesting because we watch all these movies and we see all these things about Jesus being a, or, or, or the kinds of superheroes that are out there. And so what we do is we take those superheroes and we say, Jesus is like them. Rather than comparing them to Jesus, we like to say, this is what Jesus is like. 
And the realities of that is, let's look at the kinds of superheroes that we put in place, right? The world has all this evil, and maybe there's this character who's very, very evil, and what he's wanting to do is dominate the world and kill everybody, right? But there's this superhero who, deep down, is really, really good and has these powers, and it kind of hovers in stalkerish above, you know, us on the buildings. And every time somebody's stealing something from us, or taking something from us, or about to hurt us, or do something, immediately he just sweeps in from the wherever he's at, tower or or his cave or whatever. He swoops in, rescues us, carries us off. Maybe, maybe even stops a train from falling off a cliff or something like that and puts everybody back and everybody's like wow he's so strong he saved us he's so strong this is amazing and this is our superhero and then what does he do he flies off he flies off he's strong he's powerful he cares and we only want him around when we've messed everything up. If we're honest, the kind of Jesus that we really want in our lives is that kind of Jesus. We want him strong, we want him powerful, and we want him to do what we want him to do when we can't do it ourselves. And we want him to fly in, fix everything, defeat our enemies, kill everybody who's against us, put everything back in order, but, but fly off when everything's back. there's anything we see about superheroes that we create they're mostly lonely mostly lonely they mostly don't know how to have relationships and they mostly are just far off and because of their power they can't have real relationships but what we see in this and why this confronts the kingdoms of that time and i think the kingdoms of our time is that this jesus is different than that this king is different than all other kings of this world. What we see in this is that he is sympathetic. What else do we see? We see something that pushes against it. We, we, some of us go, okay, I, I like the fact that Jesus is sympathetic. Maybe I, maybe I missed it, but I, I, I like that. But then there's also something in this story that we, these stories that we can really, really struggle with, and that is this. Jesus works in many different situations, in many different ways, and in His timing. Hmm. What you can not miss in this story and we'll go through this a little bit is that what we try and do when we read about jesus healing all these people and taking care of it, it's hard for us to resist if i did the same thing could i get the same results if i came like Jairus, if i came like the woman with the issue of blood could i get the kind of healing could i get these kinds hard for us to resist what we like to do is try to figure out what is it that jesus is wanting us to do so that he will do what we want him to do what can frustrate us about jesus is that you can never find a system to put jesus into we try to Put them on a spreadsheet. Now, she did this, and this, this, and this, and then this timing, and in this way, he did this. And how can we find the pattern? 
And if we do that exact same pattern, we could get the same results. But what we see in this story, and then even in John chapter 3, because I have to read this because I think this illustrates and frustrates at the same time. Nicodemus, who's, who's a great teacher, comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want anybody to know that he's meeting with them. And he starts asking him, and Jesus starts to tell him something very interesting. And he says, you must be born again. So, Jesus, uh, so Nicodemus is trying to figure out, how do I get born again? And what, how can I get back in my mother's womb? He's trying to put this in a formula that he can understand. And Jesus says something to Nicodemus, and he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And then he says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So here's Jesus saying to Nicodemus, hey, you must be born again. And he's trying to figure out how I can be born again and how it can happen. And Jesus says, you must be born again and don't marvel at it that you must be born again. But here's how you're born again. It's you're born of water and the Spirit. But here's what you have to know about the Spirit. The Spirit does what He wants. He goes where He wishes. He comes and goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There is no way for us to control the work of the Spirit. You must be born again. Well, how do I do it? I have to do it. That's what he says. The Spirit has to do it. And what you see in this is something such uh, so similar because when you're walking through this, you start to look and you start to see that he puts these two stories together and they're very, very, there's tons of contrast. You have Jairus, who is, is, is the first part of the story, and then you have this woman with the issue of blood. So not just the difference between man and woman. But what you see here is their approach is very different. So when Jairus comes before Jesus, what does he do? He comes boldly before his face. He comes in saying, God, please, and he approaches him to his face. But the woman comes meekly and comes from behind. Jairus had tons of riches and resources. But she had spent all that she had. She was poor. She had nothing. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old and was sick for a short time, but was about to die. So she was young and sick, 12 years old. This woman was sick for 12 years and spent all that she had and could not be healed. Is it interesting or just uh, a coincidence, at least worthy of pointing out, that she's been sick for 12 years and this girl is 12 years old? She could look at that girl and say, I've been sick as long as you've been alive. Jairus said, Jesus, would you come and touch my daughter so that she could be healed? So Jesus had to touch her where the woman came and touched Jesus. Jairus implored Jesus earnestly. He was begging him, but she said nothing. She just kind of came and touched him. Jairus ran out, in, uh, ran out 
uh, when Jesus came to Jairus' house, he ran out the crowd. He wouldn't let anybody see the miracle that was happening, and he only allowed the parents to be in there and a few of his disciples, but everybody else had to stay out. And he tried to hide it by going, hey, look, she's just sleeping. I'll go wake her up. He ran everybody out, but with the woman, he healed her in front of everybody. They, she wanted to sneak it in, but he put her out in front. He, he put her on display. He let everyone know what he had done. Jairus was strictly told, don't tell anybody, and then give her something to eat. I always thought that was interesting. I think that's just so funny. He's like, look, don't tell anybody. Can you give her some food? She's been dead for a while. She's hungry. <laughs> two strict warnings. Don't tell anybody. Give her food. Those are the two strict warnings. Very spiritual, very practical. Love it. And then the woman. He pointed her out in front of the whole crowd and put her on display and told everybody what had happened. One, he didn't want anybody to tell. The other one, he said, look, look at this. Jairus was fearful and he encouraged him to believe. This woman believed and he encouraged her faith. He called her daughter. What's interesting about these stories is how very different they are. And they're put together in this, in this, in this amazing kind of, uh, uh, of one story put together. And what this shows us is that Jesus works in many different ways, in many different situations, and He does it in His timing. This woman was healed immediately. When she touched Him, she was healed immediately. Jesus waited till the daughter died and then went and healed her. Here's what we know about the kingdom of God. We don't know how He does stuff. We don't know why He does stuff. We don't know how to make it happen. We don't know what, we, do we need to be rich or poor, a man or a woman? What do we need to do? How do we need to do it? We don't know. But all we see is Jesus working in all these varieties of ways. And so what can we see from this is one is Jesus' character, that he's sympathetic. Two, we can see that he is, he is God. But the other thing that we can see in this is that the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world is that the kingdom of God and the people of the kingdom of God are family. You see that in the text? The people of the kingdom of God are family. And why is that different than the kingdoms of this world? Because in the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms are made up of crowds and one king who just kind of has crowds following him. But in the kingdom of God, it's made up of family. This is not just a lonely king who's isolated by himself, but this relationship is very, very important that he is a father and he has a family and that in this kingdom there are sons and daughters his kingdom is not just made up of subjects it's made up of sons and daughters and what we need to see in this is the character of this king and the character of this father in how he treats his daughter he's busy right this right at this moment he's really busy 
and he's busy doing important things for an important man. But he's not too busy to stop all of that and look at his daughter. He's being touched by everybody in the crowd. People all have needs and they all have wants. There's multitudes touching him and he goes, who touched me? And the disciples are like, everybody? Why are you asking that? You are the smartest person I know, Jesus. And that was a dumb question. (laughs) This is the attitude they're having now. Jesus, um, everybody's touching you. And he goes, no. I'm talking about who touched me. There's a different kind of touch. It's not this idea of like what I do as a father. I've learned to tune out the voices of my children, right? But Dana has this amazing ability in the voice, in the, in the midst of a crowd of screaming babies to recognize a different kind of scream. That's my kid's scream. And I'm like, I've just tuned it out over all these years. But not, but not here. What Jesus shows in this is that he recognizes the touch of a daughter. Different than the touch of the crowd. He's being rushed. Jairus is saying, come on, my daughter is dying, my daughter is dying, let's go, let's go, let's go. He's being rushed by the needs of a very important man. But he's not so much in a rush that he won't stop. Turn around. And acknowledge, that's my girl. That's my daughter. He's working with a very exalted man. He's working with somebody that that everybody would respect and know. He's working with somebody that has position and power and money. None of that matters to him as much as his daughter. And in front of all of those people, a very exalted man, Jesus exalts her. Jesus exalts her in front of all of those exalted people. Another very interesting thing that a lot of us don't realize as we are a part of the kingdom of God, that the difference between this woman and everybody else is that she could draw power from him versus everybody else had to ask for him to give that power that a child of God has access to all of the resources of that king and she touched him and had access to him and one thing that I work very hard to teach my children and want them to understand that whatever is mine is theirs And Jesus once again demonstrates this. He could feel her withdrawing from him. Different from all of the touches of the crowd. So what is, what is, what's so important about this king who has a family and who is sympathetic towards his people is that we have to see that 
This father, this king, this father is a true and better father that no matter what kind of father you've had, whether he's been great or he's been a complete bust, no matter what kind of father has shaped our mentality about what fathers are, what Jesus is showing us is what a true father is, what this God of the world, and many of us pray in this way because we don't understand what it means to be a child of God. We're often going, Jesus, I know you're busy, but if you could just break a piece off for me. I know, I know you're busy. No, you don't really care about me. And you got a lot more important people you're dealing with than me. He's not too busy for you. His love for his people is so evident. Hear me on this. He's not impressed by wealth and prestige. And power. He's not impressed by that. What he exalts is his children. You see, others, um, others' needs and, and others' problems don't dictate him helping you. It's amazing when you really start to in, engage in, in situations of the world, you see there are so many things in this world and people have so many problems and so many issues that often if you have something that you think is smaller, you could see how this woman would feel. I've been dealing with this for 12 years old, but there's this 12-year-old little girl who's about to die. I could wait. He's busy. But all the needs in this world, all the things that are happening, doesn't dictate him wanting to be with you. The other thing I love about this text is he wants everybody in the crowd to know, that's my girl. That's my daughter. I see that whenever I go to things where my kids, it doesn't matter, they're in a crowd, they're up on a choir, it doesn't matter, they don't even have to be a solo. I look up there and I see them in the crowd and I want everybody around them to know. You see that guy? He's small. He's this. That's, that's my kid. It's different. I'm looking in a whole crowd, but I, I want everybody to know that's mine. The other thing is, you have undeserved access to all the resources of this king, of this father. As a child of God, we have access to things that <laughs> should completely overwhelm us. And when you look at this text, it blows our minds to go, well, what is it? How do I become this? What is it that I need to do? And you go, oh, I get it, I get it. It's faith, it's faith. You see, Jesus says, it's faith. It's faith that makes you whole. So what is faith? How do I get it? How do I grab a hold of it? And how do I get faith? And here's the problem when, when we start teaching about faith. And, and, and in our country, we're the worst at this. And I even have struggles talking about faith in our country because what we've done is taken a word faith and systematized it so that we could tell everybody, here's what faith is. Do this and you can control God. You can make Him do whatever you want Him to do if you just have 
faith. And the power of this text is not this woman's faith. The power of this text was drawn from Jesus. When we really investigate what faith is, it's a lot more like John chapter 3 than we like it to be. We like to make it, well, I just say positive things and that's faith. I just always have a good attitude and that's faith. I just name it and claim it, blab it, put a good book in the offering and God always has to do what I tell him to do. Faith is not a way to control your father. Faith is a deep dependency upon his character and goodness and power it's a complete reliance upon him this woman had no other options and no other resources all she had was jesus is that faith that's faith another thing we don't like to hear is that the bible says second peter 1 1 philippians 1 29 acts 3 16 i wish we could spend ta- time talking about this But faith is even a gift from God. Faith is not something we muster up in ourselves. God gives us faith. The other thing we don't like to hear is that faith comes by hearing. Our faith is dependent upon His his speaking of His word. Faith comes by hearing. This woman had faith. Why? Because it says in the text, she heard about Jesus. She heard. Faith came by hearing. Faith depends upon God's character. It puts our complete trust and reliance in Him and His love and His grace and His work. And there's no other hope and there's no other option. It's all dependent upon Him. If He's not good, I have nothing. If He's not gracious, I have no hope. If He didn't do the work, I can't do it for myself. Faith knows That not only is he going to heal this temporary body or even work in us and do his work in us, but he's going to change our identity. What is the real exciting thing about this text is not that the 12 years of pain went away. The exciting thing is her identity was changed. Notice this. Jairus is named by name. His daughter is recognized by his relationship to Jairus. The woman with the issue of blood, you never know her name. Why? Because all that matters is she's a daughter. That's her identity. It's his kid. Faith is dependent upon not just a healing, but a complete identity shift. The other thing we see in this text is that faith and action are not two separate things. They're one completely linked thing. James 2.26 shows us that faith without works and that the body without the spirit. It's impossible to separate the body and the spirit. It's impossible to separate faith and works. This woman had faith and what it did is it empowered her to do, to touch, to draw from. So you're saying, well, what is faith? How do I get it? It's hard for me to even try and give it to you because the questions that we ask often are to try and manipulate and control. But I know that there's some of us today who go, I have no other options. I have to totally trust and depend upon Jesus. 
He's the one who's healed me. He's the one who's done the work for me. I've, stro- I've strive and strive and implore and try to make things happen. And what you see in Jairus is that he's imploring and pouring. He's carrying the weight of healing his daughter. And Jesus is an option, but he has a ton of other resources. Jesus, please come, 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 come. And he's walking in this fear because why? He's striving, he's imploring, he's striving, he's imploring. He's trying to get Jesus to heal his daughter. He doesn't trust that Jesus wants to heal. He's trying to implore him to do it. He doesn't trust in the character and the person of Jesus. He wants to make him do it. He's trying to manipulate him. And Jesus' heart is sympathetic, and you see that his work is there, but he doesn't want anybody to see what's happening there. Why? Because he's doing this work based upon his character. And what does he say to Jairus? Don't fear. What Jairus was doing was not faith. It was fear. Don't fear. Believe, he says. Trust me. Trust me. And in the midst of the brokenness of your life, what we have to see is that the great equalizer is no matter how much we think our riches and our life and our works and everything we've built up about ourselves, no matter how much we see that we're stronger than everybody else and we have it all together, Disease and death are the great equalizer. Rich and poor get it. Young and old get it. Disease and death is the great equalizer. You see a rich man and a poor woman. You see someone who has all resources and somebody who has none resources. They find themselves on a level playing field. And no matter where we're at in this room, we all should find ourselves on the level playing field. And what is that level playing field? We need to... We need Jesus. We need His kingdom. We need to believe and trust in Him. And as we come to this table today, what really you need to hear today, because I know that in this room, you could relate to one of these stories. The woman, the man, maybe, maybe you could take pieces from both, and there's things that are happening in your life, and disease, and sickness, and, 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 and you feel the weight of sin, and struggle, and, and you see all the things, the brokenness around you, and you're trying to figure out, how do I fix all this mess? And you're carrying the weight of trying to fix it. But today, the only thing that you could hear, hear God's voice coming out of this text to you don't fear believe see and be inspired by the faith the trust that this woman has see that Jesus is exalting her in this text above all the crowds and and putting her on display and saying my daughter her her faith her faith look at her deep trust and dependence upon her father And focus on this text, on who God is. He's sympathetic, he's powerful, he's gracious, he's he's a good, good father. He's a good father. Trust him. Listen, I I have to share this story before you come to the tables. Uh, Some of you know that uh, Kyle and Mel... Kyle is one of our elders. Mel has served so fast. She's struggling with so much pain and sickness and ongoing, and they're trying to work through it. The other day, I went to the hospital, and I was so encouraged that Kyle is faithfully praying for his wife, and he said, 
Aaron, I, I just have been praying and praying for healing and healing and healing and healing. And every time I pray, every day, when I'm praying and asking God, I say, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done because I really want his will. And he said, it's been the hardest thing for me to lay hands on my wife and pray for him to heal and end my prayer with saying, God, what I really want is your will. Do your will. I saw that and I was inspired by his faith. I was inspired by the trust and dependence he has upon God. And inspired by what kind of reality I want to walk in in my life. That as we come to this table, what we're really looking at as we take of the elements, we're remembering that Jesus did the work. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did the work and he's a good father and that he loves us and he's in covenant with us and what you need to hear right now is not it's all going to be okay what you need to hear right now is trust me Jesus could have said it's all going to be okay but what did he say trust me trust me you don't need to hear it's all going to be okay what you need to hear is trust him trust him as you come to this table Remember his character, his goodness, his love, his grace. Remember all that he is and what he's done. Remember that he's a good, good father. And they're going to sing that song. You're a good, good father. And I, I, I implore you to worship him, to meditate upon his goodness, to find who you are because it says, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That you would find your identity as a child of God in him. That you would see that this father is good and he loves you. So church, we're going to spend these last minutes of our service just meditating on who God is. And I hope and I pray that you would, that you would see how good He is and that you would trust Him, that you would rest and trust in the goodness of God. Lord, I pray that you would draw us to this table, that you would show us once again what you've done for us on the cross and that we would remember that you are our Father. And right now, with everything in us, we say we trust you. We don't always understand how you work. We can't always figure it out. But we trust you. We trust you. We trust you with all of our lives. We ask. We touch you. We, we reach out to you. We pray. We seek you first. We trust you. In Jesus' name. Church, let's come. Let's take communion. Let's pray. Let's sing. Let's respond to the hearing of God's word.